0: A seat to the edge table
1: with Nicole Biscotti and Melissa Sibol.
0: Welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to pull up a seat to the edge table. The conversation is even more rich the more people that participate. Make sure you invite your friends to listen at the Edge Table and continue the conversation either on our forum at theedgetable.com or on Twitter. At the underscore edu underscore table. We hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we enjoy putting it together. If you do, make sure to leave us a review. It helps the podcast be seen and brings more people to the table. My name is Melissa Sidebotham, and I'm here with my very good friend, Nicole.
1: Hi, I'm Nicole Biscotti. The edu table is a place for parents and educators to share ideas and perspectives. This has become an even more critical conversation given what we're all dealing with right now and the impact that it's having on education and on our children. Today we'll be
0: discussing Rediscovering Reading in Quarantine. We have a wonderful group of panelists today. To start us off, I would like to introduce Yashmi Mistry. Um, Yashmi, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure, I have um, two boys going to school. One's in fourth grade and another one's in first grade. I'm a dietitian and uh, I don't know, I work part-time and part-time home with my kiddos. Fantastic. I'm um, Also joining the conversation today, we have Laura Robb. Hi, Laura. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Yes. Um, I'm a,
2: a coach uh, and a teacher. i been teaching more than 45 years. Uh, I usually go back to the classroom, but the vi- virus has prevented that uh, this year. And I've written uh, more than 35 books for teachers on reading and writing. And, and the most recent book I wrote was with my son called Schools Full of Teachers, Schools Full of Readers, rather. We know they're full of teachers, <laughs> um, <and laughs> hopefully. Uh, And uh, it's a book we're very passionate about, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to be able to share my ideas on reading.
0: We're so thrilled that you were able to join us. And let's go ahead and have Evan. Evan, uh, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? I know your mom just kind of paved that way for us.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I'm Evan Robb. I am Laura Robb's son and uh, I am a middle school principal. I've been a principal for 20 years. Um, Over the course of that time, I had an opportunity to write three books, including uh, the most recent book, uh, which is our fourth book with my mother, Laura, Schools Full of Readers, not Teachers. (laughs) Uh, I also have opportunities uh, to to speak and, and to share ideas with educators across the country. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: We're very excited that you were able to pull up a seat. And last but not least, we have Marilyn Muller. Marilyn, can you share a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me on this podcast
4: today. I'm the mother of a 12-year-old dyslexic girl, and I am the founder of Moms for Free Appropriate Public Education.
1: Thank you all for being here. I'm really excited to have you here and to have these unique persp- perspectives at the edge I, I want The first question I wanted to ask was, what value does reading have in quarantine? We're all adjusting to sort of this new temporary reality or normal, and I'd like to discuss the value that reading can have during this time.
2: Um, I, I'm going to jump in. Uh, it, uh, You know, it's wonderful for children who have books at home or the school has sent home books or they can access books online, but with a book, uh, they won't be alone. They can go any place. It depends on the book they choose. Uh, They can meet different characters and people, uh, and they really develop their imagination. And for the children who struggle with reading, they're uh, at home on a computer. If you go to YouTube, a lot of wonderful picture books. I just watched um, a, re- a rendition of the Island of the Scob by Stephen uh, Kellogg, are available free for children to watch and interact with. And of course, for me, when a parent reads to a child, that's one of the best things because it's an expression of love, and the. Book acts as a bridge connecting the parent and the child.
1: Thank you so much for that perspective. Well, I think that's really beautiful how you mentioned that when children read, they can be in a different temporary reality and meet different characters. I know when I was a kid, I lived in a home with some some difficult situations going on, and reading was really my my happy place. I, that's where I enjoyed um, spending my time the best, the most. And thank you also for sharing those resources. I know as a mom myself, I'm kind of scrambling, right, to find enough reading material. <laughs> Evan, what did you have to add to that?
3: Yeah, I can just give a, a, a slightly slightly different perspective from the principal's level. Um, I think the first thing I would say is reading is absolutely important during uh, our pandemic, um, as it is important every other time um, in the past and, and certainly into the future. One of the things that I think is important for schools to think about as they start Contemplating, organizing, launching remote learning is, you know, what are the key things that we want students to work on within their language arts program? I have to be careful with remote learning that English instruction doesn't become task completion, where worksheets or or things that, that are not necessarily going to enhance reading start occupying a lot of time. So my message, you know, throughout this podcast and certainly the message that I write about and communicate with my mother, Laura, is reading is very important uh, and, and it has a place and we have to make sure that we are uh, finding ways to communicate and support reading to happen during quarantine, but also during other times.
2: Absolutely, Evan, uh, because if children don't read now, they will slide backwards. Uh, we know that reading is like practicing a sport or a musical instrument, Um And uh, it has all the benefits of of like, instead of a vocabulary worksheet, read a book, you'll learn a lot more words that way. Uh, Listen to a book, you'll learn that way uh, as well. The One thing I would hope that is possible is for children to have choices, because if they choose a book that they really want to read, then they will be invested in it.
1: Absolutely. And I think that was one of my greatest pleasures as a child that was a big reader was to have that that choice. We talk about student choice now, but before that was a thing, I think I was experiencing student choice through reading, um, which does offer that opportunity. Marilyn, what would you like to add to this?
4: Well, from the parent perspective, I think that it's a wonderful opportunity for children to pursue um, books of passion, uh, since in my particular situation, my daughter's passions um, fall outside the classroom. She's into musical theater and the arts. And this is an opportunity for her to pursue passion books with passion um, or books that she's passionate about without it having to be... Um, aligned to curriculum per se. And so there's no stress for, um, having to read something that she's not particularly interested in. Um, additionally with her being, um, previously a struggling reader, you have access to bookshare, um, you may also have access to Learning Ally, which was a wonderful tool for my daughter in the early elementary grades, kindergarten through third grade specifically, when she was struggling the most. Um, she was able to access, for example, Harry Potter. She was, you know, so intrigued by Harry Potter, but she wasn't able to read it independently, and therefore she felt um, embarrassed, like on the school playground or in social discussions, children were reading Harry Potter and she couldn't read at that level. And this was a way for her to access it independently and uh, specifically through Learning Ally in our instance. And it had a woman who was reading with a British voice and you can set the speed at her pace, and it bookmarks it, and you you can pick it up. And she actually read the first Harry Potter book um, through
1: ear reading and
4: learning Ally in two days.
1: So That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that experience. I think that one thing we're you know we're speaking about reading very positively, but one thing we'll touch on later on is what do we do with those kids that are either struggling to read or flat out just don't want to? So thank you for sharing that experience. That's, that's really great, Evan. What you had your hand raised? What would you like? to
3: Yeah, do? I just wanted to just point out something that that you know I appreciate Marilyn saying, which is uh, you know it's certainly important for kids to be able to experience books that uh, that they have a high degree of interest in. I guess Marilyn used the word passion. I would agree with that. Uh, kids. And, and we as adults are much more likely to engage in reading something that's of interest to us. Where, where at times schools go wrong is a presumption or a communication that a designated novel for a particular grade level is the only way to uh, teach kids the particular skills and standards that they wanna work on. Well, that is not true. Uh, you know, kids can be in a variety of different books, you know, most certainly including books that they have a high degree of interest in, while they are still collectively focusing on specific skills and strategies uh, that can help them grow as readers. Because if everyone's reading the same book and uh, they all, all the kids read at different reading levels, it does not make a lot of sense.
2: Right, Evan. A lot of kids won't be reading that way. Um, if, if, if they don't have choices... And you can have choices uh, even while you're at home, you know, and if you're using an online forum of books, you have tons of choices. Thank you guys for saying that, because
1: I, I'd like to make a confession right here at the Edge Table podcast. I'm a voracious reader, always have been, and I'm actually a writer. And I have, in school, never completed any of the books that were assigned. The minute something was assigned, I would just kind of read what I had to, because it it's sort of... Either didn't interest me or took away that the joy of being able to to dive into a book that I love,
2: right? And you know something with a creative teacher, Marilyn, a child can follow his or her passion. If you're reading realistic fiction, you can read a book about a, a child who is interested in the arts or performing. Uh, you can find a biography of a great performer in any field. So uh, it, it's really. Just a matter of, I think, communicating with the child, finding out what the child's interested in, and then helping that child um, match the interests with reading that that child wants to do. Because, you know, the one book, as Evan said, that somebody chooses is not the book that's going to help everybody but choice and passion and interest will help children get into reading and concentrate and want to read more.
4: Um, I would just like to say that we are in that uh, type of environment now um, at more private specialty school. Unfortunately, we did not experience that same flexibility um, in our home district here in Massachusetts. So, You know, that's just the experience that we were up against. I think sometimes required reading. Um, You know, maybe perhaps teachers can have tunnel vision. I don't know how to explain it. Again, I'm just a parent. But, um, you know, we have experienced that flexibility uh, at Lauren's school. She's been there since fourth grade. And they are super supportive of... um, you know, making sure that the children are engaged in grade level content that um, appeals to them. So that's been a wonderful experience. And I, I totally agree. It makes the biggest difference in Lauren's attitude towards, um, you know, her required reading time each night. Um, and it's been a huge benefit here while in quarantine
2: as well. Right. But perfect. You- perfect. Oh there's a fine line. Yeah. As children get older, I mean, I'm a big believer in choice, always have been, but I know that, uh, if you're following your passion, let's say, and you're doing some research, you might have to read some things that you're not really crazy about. But I think once a child develops enough, uh, expertise as a reader, um, they can begin to understand by the middle grades and middle school that sometimes there's a need to do some reading that might not be your top choice personally, but it will take you where you need to go to understand something better. Absolutely. I agree with that. She is in sixth grade now, and
4: we are we are at, at that place, and um, I totally agree with you.
2: Yeah, it, it's a fine balance and kids accept it. They really do. Um, but I think what Evan said is really important that we have to differentiate um, and we can do that at home as well because you can communicate with the teacher if a book comes in and that your child uh, isn't interested in it at all. And when the child says that, I usually wonder if maybe the book is too much of a challenge or, you know, the language, they're not ready for the literary language in that particular book. Then we have to be flexible enough to make an adjustment.
0: Those are all very true points. And, you know, you you both bring up points about not just reading for the love of reading, but also reading to accomplish a goal, whether you're researching a project or using it as a tool to get you where you need to go. Um, And right now, since everybody is, not everybody, but most people are sheltering in place and we are at home and we're all trying to deal with all of these varying levels of distance learning, I think people are finding in different pockets of the United States and elsewhere that there might be some gaps that are being left open by that distance learning. And so I, my question to the panel is, how do you think that we can use reading at home to fill in some of those gaps? Oh, well, I'm
2: um... I think that when when I imagine that uh, learning at home, I think it's very easy for most parents to see uh, in the language arts or English class that reading is definitely a part of that. But um, I will give you an example. My granddaughter uh, had to memorize uh, 15 science words out of the context of any reading text just words on a, on a topic that was really difficult to, uh, to understand. What we can do to bring reading in is find articles or stories, of, uh, or they can watch an experiment on YouTube that has to do with that topic. But we've reading into it. Reading is part of science, of math, of social studies, even the fine arts um, uh, we can, We have to read music, uh, we might have to read dance notation, um, and we, we can also, for sports, read about sports heroes. There are plenty of those and plenty of wonderful biographies. So for me, if reading becomes part of everything you do, then we know that one of the most important things will be in place When this, when we go back to our normal school routines, that the children have not slipped back because they haven't been reading, but because they have been reading in all subjects, they're making really solid progress.
0: Very good point. Evan, did you have something to add?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, appreciate what my mother said and certainly agree with that 100%. Uh, We as educators need to encourage children to read um, and certainly need to encourage parents to support reading. Um, I will repeat what my mother said, which is just like anything in life and the athletic example is a good one, the more you practice anything, the better you get at it. Uh, Mom was talking about reading as a vehicle to uh, improve your thinking, to improve your um, understanding of learning, Critical thinking, things of that nature. I think the thing that we need to be careful about is that remote learning, and I'm very careful with the word remote learning versus remote task completion. Uh, the example that my mother gave about, uh, you know, uh, of my sister's daughter uh, completing an assignment that she couldn't make any connection to, is what I would call remote task completion. Uh, that is certainly not going to be a catalyst to get kids excited about reading um, and I think in, in its most simplest way is simply a source of frustration for kids and families uh, and something that we, we need to really make, make sure that we're moving away from.
0: Absolutely. I've Anna. heard a lot of... Oh, I'm no. sorry. Go ahead, Laura. No, I just wanted
2: to agree with him wholeheartedly. hmm
0: mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I was speaking with um, a parent friend of mine last night, and we were talking about this podcast and and the topic of of learning to read at home. And her children are older, but she, she was telling me that she's got one who is very into fiction. You know, he read every series out there and just completely immersed himself in those stories and she would qualify her son as, you know, an avid reader and somebody who loves reading. And then she has her daughter who, um, who is not a big fan of fiction. However, she's just recently discovered and her, her daughter is in middle school that, that she really does enjoy, reading recipes and learning how to cook. Um, she really does enjoy reading up different um water polo or swimming techniques and figuring out how to apply that to her own skills. And so reading can take different forms. And and also going back to what Marilyn had said earlier, I don't think we can discount the uh the impact and the importance of the audiobook. I think that allowing children to access that reading however they can and making sure it's connected to something they're passionate about is really the key. Marilyn, it looks like you had something to say. Yes. So again, the parent
4: perspective and the reality um, of being quarantined or sheltering in place at home is we have, you know, 12 to 14 hours where these kids are awake. And I, I don't think anyone um, can be 100% successful at uh, keeping their children away from video games. Um, and so one thing that I did in, in collaborating with the teachers at her school Um, was I, I asked if there was some extra reading that we could do together. And so the teacher during his office hours, um, sort of asked her, you know, science or history, you know, what would you, what interests you the most? And of course, knowing more, and it was, it was history as it pertains to academic curriculum. And so he went and spoke with the history teacher and long story short is they recommended um, a book that we could read together because I did want to read it with her um, because she is doing other reading for her distance teaching and her virtual classes on, you know, Google Hangout is the format they're using. So they came back to me with a suggestion of, um, I think it's uh, mummies in the morning which is a Magic Treehouse book, and it's actually a sub- sub- supplement to the Egypt unit that is coming up um, in in the future, near future. So we're going to be able to sort of prep her um, for her upcoming Egypt unit um, in history, and we're going to be engaging in content that. She's interested in because she does love history, and then I thought we would make it, um, you know, a learning together. So her and I will alternate reading. Um, she'll read, you know, either a couple pages, and then I'll read a couple pages um, because I always like to check in with how her comprehension is when she's reading versus um, her comprehension when I'm reading. Because even in kindergarten. Um, she could comprehend everything I read to her. She did not comprehend most of what she read independently. But again, that was at the point where she was struggling. The greatest was in, in kindergarten. She made absolutely no progress her entire year of kindergarten, kindergarten with, um, decoding skills. Mar- so.
1: Marilyn, you bring up an excellent point that I'd like to expand on and it really segues nicely into our next question um i wanted to address family time because you're right our kids are awake like for a lot of hours right and we're all in this house together for most of us um Mm -hmm. some people are still working outside the home but a lot of us are are in the house all day and you know i've read things about people getting into puzzles again and board games and i want to talk about where reading can fit into that and one thing that you said i found to be key in my family for a different reason you mentioned that you're reading with your daughter and there's obviously value in that um, in helping her with her comprehension and her reading skills. But so I have three kids still at home. I have 11 year old twins and I have a nine year old little boy. And when I started to post to them that we're going to have reading time, you know, quarantine started after spring break. So my kids had a little trouble understanding that spring break wasn't like forever. And <laughs>
0: They were a little like,
1: (laughs) yeah, they were a little like, well, I, you know, they didn't put our classes online yet, mom. And, you know, and I said, no, we're going to have reading time. And what I found was that when I said, you know what, we're all going to read, the house Mm -hmm. stops, everything stops in the house Mm -hmm. and we're all going to spend time reading. I noticed that the nine-year-old who has ADHD and um, often won't even sit still long enough to read snuggled up next to me and became interested. Um, so I, I noticed that that has become a part of it, just that togetherness that kids um, seem to crave, even when they're home with us for 14 hours a week.
4: Mm-hmm. So I wanted
1: to see um, what the rest of you thought of that. If you, what, what strategies have you found that are helping um, families bond or what suggestions do you have? And also, the other issue that I'm having as a parent is keeping up with resources for books. So we've been downloading a lot of books, but... Um, I'd like to know if any of you have resources that are free. I know Laura touched on a few, um, but maybe just to expand on those options for people in
2: Um, Well, to go back to the first part of your question, families uh, reading together, um, I, I think that that's something that should happen all the time. Um, I think that... Uh, kids when, when they see uh, adults involved in reading uh, they know that, that reading is something that's important and, and valued um, but it can come in many ways um, it, you know we can build prior knowledge just as Maryland is doing by reading uh, those books and, and there's a nonfiction companion to that book by Mary Pope Osborne that's wonderful too um, on mummies in Egypt but um, I th- I think that uh, there are lots of other kinds of reading together and listening together. I-, I think if you watch a movie, you should talk about it, and we never do that. We just like watch it and then leave. Um, it's the conversation about the movie and what you're seeing is very similar to a conversation about a book, and you can really show kids those connections. You can watch a great video and talk about it. Um, And The beauty of a video on your computer is you can rewatch it because a lot of times it has a lot of information. It's just learning to talk to your child about something other than what's going on in their life or the house or duties they have, which would be a book or a video or a movie, and listening very carefully to them.
1: Yes, thank you very much for that point. And I really like how you mentioned that movies are, are kind of okay because for a lot of us, it's easier to get our kids maybe to watch a movie than always to read a book because that that can kind of depend on their mood if they're willing to to read at the moment. But um, movies are a great thing right now for families and a great opportunity for learning about different places and different times and things like that. Marilyn? yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to chime in again. Um, No, please do. We're glad that you're doing that. Thank you.
4: Yeah. So growing up, one of my closest friends, it was a Sunday tradition in her house. They had 11 children and they would all sit around the breakfast table before church and they would read articles from, um, it was the New York times at that, at that point. Um, And, that has always resonated with me. Like whenever I, you know, would have have sleepovers on Saturday because we happen to go to the same church, and I enjoyed that, that um, family tradition. So it it's always stuck with me. And then um, as far as applying it to my um, home, um, so we'll we will read um, especially education articles um, in our home, and the way that's translated into what's going on now is um, not so many papers flow into the homes anymore because so much is online. However, um, my husband is originally from New York. And so we have um, the New York papers delivered to our house. So we still get those papers. And so we will um, take turns reading the daily paper in this particular situation. And I think one of the great things about reading the paper daily with the children is, number one, um, you can pull out some things they may be anxious about that they wouldn't normally tell you or they may not think about because, you know, like my daughter has executive functioning weaknesses. And, you know, if if she's thinking of something and if she doesn't get it out right then, she may forget it. So um, it's also a conversation starter about, you know, things that are going on in life and, and, and ways to cope with what
1: is going on right now. That's an excellent point. The
2: other thing I love to see families do is read poetry. And uh, you can get wonderful poems uh, online and give children choice. And children can practice and perform for dessert at at the dinner table, uh, short poems, um, or they can just read them with you together. But the language of poetry is very different from the language of, of a novel or a biography or informational text. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think they need to tune their ears um, and, and their imaginations to all kinds of literature. And I like poetry because it's short and it can be funny. Uh, and, and it's a very low, uh, low pressure kind of thing. Uh, basically, you know, you poetry should be read out loud. And uh, you know, no big analyzing. Just ask the child, you know. So, how did that make you feel? And if the child doesn't say anything, you share your feelings so the child understands. I I think I worry that um, that parents you know feel now that they're compelled to to be teacher and and they have to help the kids do the work that come from school. But in other areas, um, I I think we we need to look at it. Uh, at the reading, maybe a little bit differently, um, so that it is it is always in a very positive and and happy environment.
1: Yes, I, and I think that that's modeled right. Like when we're reading and when we're enjoying it, and we're uh, intentional about that, kids definitely pick up on on that um, that mood that we're in, rather than it being like like Evan was saying before, more task oriented and and completion. Evan, what did you have
3: to add to this? Uh, I mean, just a couple a couple quick things. I mean, I think that there's potentially good opportunities to share information. You know, it can, it can be problematic if parents feel like they have to be teachers, uh, because sometimes they base their experience of teaching off of the experiences that they had when they were children. Uh, you know, I used to diagram sentences at the chalkboard all the time. I wouldn't necessarily want to uh, have my child do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that that is just needs to be thought about a little bit. I think there are opportunities for teachers to communicate to families on ways that they can engage engage in reading and discussions of reading in a way that uh, is productive and, and not necessarily uh, parallels the classroom, but, but certainly supports things that would happen within a classroom. I would also say that one probably the simplest way for a parent to bond with their child over reading is to find something that they're mutually interested in. Uh, that, you know, if kids are interested in things, they tend to want to learn about it or want to do it. The example given about recipes, you know, that's great. There's an opportunity to read recipes and cook together. That's a bonding opportunity. Where where I would always say parents should be careful is just because something has meaning to them, either because it has meaning in their world right now or, their recollection from their childhood, it was something that they felt was impactful. That is not necessarily uh, going to have meaning with their child. Uh, it's its only a click away from a teacher who loved a particular author when they were in school and has decided that every student who comes to their classroom has to experience that author. Uh, probably won't work for all kids. you know. So again, my message is all about choice, building connections, engagement, uh, and doing things in a way that uh, is productive for um, for the child and certainly um, for parents who want to engage in discussions with their child about reading.
2: Absolutely, Evan. And I think, you know, kids, they let you know, uh, either verbally uh, or with their body language or their gestures, um, how they feel about what's going on. And and if you see a negative reaction, don't take it personally, switch gears. Um, we have to remember, as Evan said, that things that motivate us might not necessarily motivate children. Um, and, and I also think it's good to kind of Try to have a a schedule where maybe independent reading happens at such and such a time. So it's not a nagging thing. And everybody knows that that's when you're going to choose a book and read um, and get into the habit of doing it. But kids need time to play. Uh, And play is a form of learning. Uh, So they need to go out and and breathe that fresh air. They need to run around. Uh, they have a lot of energy. So we have to find a balance uh, for them when they're working at home.
0: That's so true. And I just want to kind of circle back to something that, that Evan had said. I, I just remember probably one or two years ago, I was trying to share... A Princess Bride or The Princess Bride with my older daughters, because it was one of my most favorite stories and also one of my most favorite movies. And I'm like, okay, you guys, you're old enough. Let's sit down. I want to watch this together. And we probably got about 15 minutes in, and they both looked over at me and were like, Mom, are you serious? I can't, I can't even. And I thought, oh, it broke my heart. You know, so, so Laura, when you say, don't take it, don't take it personally, I think that's a really strong message because really it, it kind of did break my heart a little bit that they did not find as much joy in that, what I thought was a wonderful story. Um, and I, you, we can't push that on people. And, you know, one other question that, that pops up for me, and I, I know, know, we lost Yashmi. Um, I'm hoping she'll be able to, to hop back on here pretty soon. But a question that, that she had had was, you know, for parents that are, are, are struggling to get their children excited about reading, uh, you oftentimes will hear about a gateway book or or some book that kind of hooks that child into reading and they go, Oh, I like this book. Maybe I want to read more stuff that are, that's similar to this. How can we help parents find that gateway book? How can we do that?
2: Well, I first, I think the the parent has to know what the, what the child's interests are. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And a lot of parents do, a lot of parents don't. And, and, um, so that you need to have some conversation about that. Uh, You can... uh of course, now you're limited, but you you can ask the teacher now or the school librarian if that person is available. Uh, but I would also suggest going to the public library, and you can also Google uh, books that are related to this topic for a specific age group. You know, Scholastic has a wonderful website where you can go on Scholastic.com and you know plug in. Uh, the interests of your child and the reading, uh, readability level that is comfortable for your child. And you'll get a whole bunch of books. Um, and then, look, you know, you can look at them with your child and then order one, or if they're available, online. But Very I think, yeah, the bottom line for me is that uh, the, the choice and 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 I think, you know, as you picked up with your own, uh, Melissa, with your own children, Evan's point that, um, you know, what excites us does not necessarily excite our children. And as teachers, we know that we're much older than the children. And so we're in a different, you know, world, really. Um, And uh, it's important to listen very carefully to what
0: they say. Very true. Evan, did you have something to add?
3: No, not really something to add, but I can give you an example because um will mm-hmm. a story that, that, you know, mom had helped me. So uh, without going into a, a long sort of diatribe about this, I was ra- a rather reluctant reader when I was growing up. But when I was in middle school... I became a really big fan of James Bond movies, and so, you know, love watching those Sean Connery movies, and I think then Roger Moore was the, was the James Bond uh, at that given time, and I just loved the movies, but I didn't realize that they were um, written by Ian Fleming, and, you know, mom had helped guide me at that point to reading the movies. Through Ian Fleming's words in his books, and suddenly changed my whole dynamic about reading. I became really, really interested mm-hmm. in in reading because you know, I connected to these books, connected to the character, mm-hmm. and you know, that was just a, made a significant impact for me. So I always encourage families to you know pay attention to things that your your children are interested in, even if it's a movie or something that you know you may not immediately think relates to to a book. There might be opportunities to uh, create a different kind of connection and and internal love of reading.
2: Right, and the other thing I, I agree a hundred percent, Evan, uh, is that you know, even though according to school standards or your standards and your friend's standards, your child does not appear to be making progress. Remember that progress is being defined by a set of benchmarks and goals that somebody else has put in place. And I'll share a story with you, too, because my granddaughter is dyslexic and my daughter was like in a panic. You know, she she didn't have X number of words when she was three. Um, And now it's very difficult to get her at 13 to stop talking. And I, I, I said, you know, don't don't go for that information. Every child moves at a slightly different rate. But I can tell you that if a person is living and breathing and being exposed to experiences, they are learning.
0: Very true. Now, Evan, I have to ask you the time-old question. What was better, the book or the movie?
3: Sean Connery movies were better than the book. But after that, I would say the book. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And Marilyn... of Dr. No and then Goldfinger, I think right after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Marilyn, you had something to add?
4: Yeah, uh, again, um, from the parent perspective and from personal experience, um, number one, your your child, um, it is necessity to it's it's a requirement to have the skills. Um, to be able to read, to decode words, um, to read a book. Um, And uh, to piggyback some of what Laura just mentioned, um, my child is um, a tenacious, gregarious, high verbal, um, presents like the most outgoing child you could ever meet. She loves the stage. She loves to perform, um, but she could not read. And um, there is a point at which the lack of those skills began to affect her passions or her love for uh, performing because she was not able to read um, her scripts. So Um, at that point, um, that's when you you must um, acknowledge that this is um, a detriment to the person. Um, And so once she acquired the skills necessary, not only to read her scripts for her performances, but um, she also has a talent manager and she goes in on cold auditions, um, you have to be able to read... um, whatever it is, the, um, you know, the director or whoever is, is hosting the audition, you have to be able to read what they hand you. If you can't read, um, then they're definitely not going to hire you. So, um, you know, I, 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 do believe that you have to have the skills. There has to be an interest in the content. Um, and of course all of this is age appropriate, right? Um, so, and, and then access, you know, for some kids who may be struggling, and the struggle is real, um, you know, access to audiobooks can be um, life changing, not only for the child, um, but, all, you know, even at school, or the whole way they approach um, their feelings towards reading. Again, I, you know, I refer back to my, my child's experience, yeah, she was in first or second grade, I forget at this point, but the Harry Potter thing, you know, she, it hurt her um, uh, emotionally and socially that she couldn't have a conversation about Harry Potter on the playground. And as a mom, I was like, well, there's a way to fix that. Um, and that's what Learning Ally did for her. It, it gave her that access to that book that was so important to her, which of course, as you know, once it was, read to her and she talked about it on the playground. You never heard that ever again. You know, we, we conquered, we conquered that, that mountain, but, um, it can be a very sensitive subject, um, for children who struggle to read and many children, um, I think more than we know struggle to read because so too many children are under identified, um, with reading struggles in my opinion. So.
2: Well, Marilyn, that's all over the country. Those are the children that I've been working with for the last 10 years intensively. But um, And and I hear you. And I know that the children suffer uh, and they talk about it. But I have worked with children who did not really start reading until third and fourth grade. Um, and it was a lot of hard work with parents and with the child to get keep that child positive, um, and and that's like an extreme, um, but uh, but everyone can learn how to read. Um, absolutely, I really in that.
0: absolutely, I totally agree with that. Every child has. Evan, did you have something to, to, to add to that?
3: Uh, no, I, what, I, what yeah, what I was going to add, and it had to go back to what my mother had said uh, about. Uh, sometimes um, how students are evaluated or instructed on their reading can impact their sense of reading. So, you know, there, there are clearly some kids that need help with the, uh, the skills, the technical aspects of learning how to read. Uh, but sometimes in schools, there are kids who read fine, but the instructional experiences that they have make them into non-readers. You know, so I'll just give a very simple example. Let's say that there's a particular language arts class where the grade is defined by a certain amount of reading log entries uh, that need to be signed by a parent, that need to be a certain length, or uh, the language arts grade is about reading a certain number of books, and that's either, uh, you know, an A, B, C, D, or F, depending on the number. So there are things that can be set up within the instruction within a classroom that can make reading an incredibly unpleasant unpleasant experience for kids mm-hmm. even if they read fine yep and, and that's absolutely. just another thing you know uh, you know that we as educators really need to think about
4: yes and then you, you also have introverts i mean sure. absolutely who are, who are the best readers and writers probably on earth and they will shut down in in a classroom setting so y- you know it's a it's a difficult task that our teachers have um in many classrooms, um, being able to identify every aspect.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and I, I think that one of the the things that we can be learning about our kids as we're reading more with them is to learn to identify these issues and kind of flush out why my kid doesn't like to read. Is it is it a mm-hmm. disconnect? Is it not that they're not interested in, the, in a topic? Is it that they're having difficulty? And of course, as parents, and even as educators, sometimes we need support to really figure those things out, but we can make those observations and begin to see um, where we can get support for, for our kids to become better readers. I wanna thank all of you for being here today. This has been an incredible conversation. I really hope that it support, it supports parents in, um, in assisting their kids to rediscover the love of reading during this quarantine period and going forward. And I wanna thank you all for pulling up a seat and being part of our show. Please reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The EduTable. We would love to hear from you. Also, remember to check out the articles and videos on our website at theedutable.com and to subscribe so that we can deliver all of this original content right to your inbox. Thank you again for listening. And remember that children always benefit when parents and educators work together. Thank
0: Thank you so much, Nicole. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also put them up on our YouTube channel for those of you that prefer that medium. Make sure that wherever you get your content, um, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review and we will catch up again soon.